Welcome to In Conversation With. Join me, Danny Jarvis, as I sit down with guest DJs, promoters, record labels, content makers, and anyone making moves on the underground house music scene. There's plenty of nostalgia, but there's also some key insights as to where the underground scene is today. So if you like what you hear, please hit the follow or subscribe button and leave us a review. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, at the gym, in the car, or chilled at home. Relax and enjoy In Conversation With. Welcome to In Conversation With on Progressive House UK. It's great to have you on to kick off this next wave of, of interviews. So I'll shut up, you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and how you got into the scene and just tell all listeners what you've been doing. Great. Cheers, Danny. Yeah, thank you for yeah, inviting me onto the show. I'm really happy to be here. So, yeah, my name is Lloyd Barwood. So I'm a DJ and producer based out of London. But I also um, run an events label called Pick and Mix Sessions, which is basically we're based out of London. We've done events in London and Manchester, and it's very much focused on progressive and melodic house. Uh, so, yeah, I've been I've been DJing for quite some time, um, taking it seriously for about a year and a half and then also producing for last year. But I've been in the scene probably for the last 10 years and it probably took me maybe four or five years of finding my way, which before I ended up kind of stumbling across uh, Progressive House, it's actually kind of Sasha and Digweed who I ended up kind of, I guess, randomly finding and listening to their music and end up loving it, loved how emotive it was. And then it kind of took me down the rabbit hole into Progressive House and ended up kind of listening to all the global undergrounds, Renaissance mixtapes, Northern Exposure, I, anything I could get my hands on, which would kind of tell the history of Progressive House, but then also how it's kind of where it is now and how it's modernised. And obviously so much has changed since back in the 90s when it's kind of during its inception. So, yeah, that's kind of my a quick um, pit stop tour of me so far, kind of how I got into it. So um, it's an interesting one because like this day and age, obviously, lots and lots of mixes, um, Lots and lots of music is available online. Like you've got a million apps. You've got your SoundClouds, your obvious ones, your MixClouds. You've also got like endless, endless amounts of apps now, the balance apps, all these kind of different things. It's interesting, like obviously um, you mentioned there, you know, you sort of stumbled across. And and that's perhaps like what we said before we started recording, which is quite interesting, is that, you know, whereas a lot of people back in the day in the 90s, they were the biggest names and certainly the biggest names still in this type part of the scene. You know, very rarely do they actually play very often in the UK. So, you know, when you say you stumbled across them, was it online? Did you did you pick up, the, did you start from the classic mixes or did you find some of their more modern stuff? That's a, it's a great question. And so what happened is I was, so I, when, when I kind of started listening to kind of dance music, it was kind of like house and tech house, which really kind of hit me in initially. And uh, I remember we went to a festival, uh, it's called Nick Fanchuli's Festival, the social festival. Um, yep. Went to that and it was an awesome day out. And I remember seeing kind of Sasha and Digweed were headlining. I had no clue who they were. If, if anything, I wasn't really interested in listening to them because um, I didn't know who they were. And I remember that at the end of the night, there was two rooms. There was them playing in one room, kind of closing out the day. And then in the other room, I had Nina Kravitz. I don't, I'm not a big fan of techno myself. Um, but a few of my friends were, so we ended up watching that set instead. So I didn't even watch Sasha and Digweed then. But I remember wow. after, 
I remember leaving the festival and a couple of days later, I was looking back at the flyer and looking at the kind of after videos and it showed a lot of Sasha and Digweed. I think it was actually their um their first gig when they got back together because they had a bit of a hiatus, didn't they? And yeah. uh, I remember thinking, wow, they made a big deal out of those two DJs. I'm going to have a little listen to them. So I started kind of typing their names into YouTube and SoundCloud and started listening to their mixes and just absolutely loved it. And kind of that's where it started. And that's when I guess I started reading up about their history and where they came from and how they were kind of pioneers of this kind of progressive scene that we love now. And uh, yeah, just kind of end up doing my homework, doing loads of reading, watching any documentary I could find. Um, yeah, kind of been obsessed with it ever since. It's, it's really it's really good to hear. I know we have a mutual friend in, in Will at Super Progressive. And, um, yeah. you know, the work he's doing is really amazing because similarly, you know, when, when I first started following Will, you know, the content and the way he was bringing back the the albums the way he was using modern sort of techniques to make the content look like it was you know literally brought out yesterday was really inspiring and I got in touch with him quite quickly to say oh look loving what you're doing you know I've been so sort of passionate and dedicated in this scene since the very beginning you know I've always always played this style of music I've always collected you know every single Renaissance album every single Global Underground you know, this was not something that you, you you had to have them. It was, it was you you know, back in the day, you literally knew it was coming out. You queued up, you went and you got it as quickly as possible, hopefully, the double packs. And it was great because similarly, he had that, um, he had that kind of different take on it where he was bringing about the content in a modern way, but he wasn't doing it just to tell people that already knew about it. He was doing it in a way that he was presenting it to a newer generation. And that I understood straight away and I really liked it because it's very, it's very easy to just discount things. You know, if you listen to the first ever Coldplay album, you know, there were nothing like the Coldplay that you think of now. And because they've been around, what, 20, coming up 25 years, it's easy just to say, oh, they've always been there. But actually, you know, that history and what they needed to do in the scene when it was new is why this scene exists. Fans have been around forever, let's be, let's be honest. But the kind of DJ and superstar DJ kind of culture was really born from that, that era. Global Underground actually kind of propelled it into a much more global thing. Because other, other than that, really, there was like Renaissance, there was, you know, Session Digweed, there was a couple of other DJs. But back then they all played kind of a mixture of all the same music. So it wasn't really until like Sasha grabbed hold of the BT stuff that it really started to become a different sound. And like you said, going back and listening to that history or reading about it, you realise that a pioneer is somebody that's like more than just more than just been successful in the scene. They've helped create the whole thing. My my, yeah. my little dog's just come in here. He's hilarious. He's I hope he's not going to be disruptive. But are you going to behave yourself? He's like the mini boss in our house. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no so yeah, it, you know what's good about what you've done is been I think brave enough probably to choose a style of music that you've then taken on and obviously started to produce. So. Tell us a little bit about how you came from, like a lot of people, kind of clubbing, 
finding some inspiration and then really jumping into like I'm in I'm going to start creating I'm going to get involved in this yeah it's a good question and it's, it's an interesting point you made there about um, choosing kind of progressive melodic house to focus on over kind of like tech house which and it, I've been to quite a few events I've been to loads of events in London all over the UK and recently and over the years and um, you find that if you were to just do like a tech house event you could sell out you could sell so many more tickets than if you were to do a progressive house event especially at the younger generation and it's not even really about the size of the djs and how big their name is you if it's that music you can sell it out um so yeah it's um maybe we can come on more to that later but yeah it's a really interesting point to think about but in terms of kind of my journey so far so obviously i been kind of around about the last 10 years I absolutely love this music and then obviously I stumbled upon Progressive House and just been kind of obsessed with it and I was spending kind of so much of my free time listening to music listening to Progressive House understanding the history of it the richness of it and also listening to like the long sets from people like Sasha Digweed Nick Warren Hernan Catania Danny Howes like all like the pioneers of this scene and I loved how they would build a set, they'd build a journey and they wouldn't think on a track by track level, they'd think on a set level, like where are we now, where do we want to be by the end of that three hours, four hours. And I remember thinking, I'm spending so much time listening and analysing this, why don't I just start learning how to DJ and actually learn how to do it myself? So that's kind of where it all began really, which is me kind of being inspired by these kind of incredible artists who've pioneered the scene and smaller artists as well and then wanting to jump in and have a go myself and I think after kind of being after DJing for a little while I then started thinking do you know what I'd love to have a go at creating and kind of I guess the production side of it and I grew up kind of playing quite a few different instruments and I had a friend kind of a year and a half ago who really inspired me to jump in and kind of go head first and have a go at it. so yeah that's what I did I ended up kind of getting a Mac getting Logic and yeah started producing. It's, it's, yeah, you, you mentioned some some interesting things there that that really sort of do hit on what what it is. There's, there's you know what's what's great about Will and certainly Ruben at the moment. You know that they're creating that kind of buzz around content by by coming up with topics that they know are quite hot topics. You know, is progressive melodic techno, and they're really sort of focusing on that kind of content that drives a lot of discussion and stuff. But you know when when you sort of boil it down and and the way I think of it is that the progressive kind of ethos is you know if I was to use an analogy it's a bit like saying well you know I love I love driving you know and there's there's like getting in a car and there's like driving you know a top sports car round the Germany ring as fast as you can 200 mile an hour let's just go absolutely mad and then there's kind of like I'd rather take out a soft top and go along the coast road and take everything in and I know it sounds like a mad analogy but when you think about progressive and the style, there's so many subtleties, there's so much going on that you're right, it's not about these big highs and the big speed and instant crescendos and instant build-ups. It's more about the subtleties, it's more about the two tunes together becoming one tune in the mix. The kind of picking up, the percussion suddenly starts to build and the energies change. And actually, when you then look at a lot of DJs, particularly Danny Howell you picked out then, actually, is that a progressive track or is that actually just Deep House? And, the, and it's the style, it's the yeah. way together that, that progresses. And obviously, maybe it's easy to say now with, with production, the technologies, the bass sounds and 
the noises. I mean, that is one of that's one of the best things about progressive is the noises. Like you just have big atmospheric noises that are layered on top and on top and on top and on top, rather than kind of you know to to put it to put it bluntly, melodic techno, which is probably at its basic about five sounds. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, it's good. It's it's great that you that you probably. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you, you understand the musicality of it rather than just oh, it's beats and it's rhythms and noises. I yeah. think um, you mentioned that you played a few instruments. What instruments did you play? Um, so I grew up. Uh, so I initially started up when I was like five or six years old playing clarinet, and then got to high quite a high grade on that. Ended up switching to saxophone. At the same time, kind of picked up guitar and played in a band. My brother, he played drums, so I kind of learned the drums as well. So um, I felt like lots of kind of knowledge and skills, which I've kind of stopped using since I kind of left left you know well, left left school really when I was like 18, and I thought it was a great opportunity to actually apply those skills and knowledge I learned all those years ago and not let it go to waste. So from a, like a musical theory perspective, it's really helped. I guess my acceleration when it comes to production and probably the reason I was able to get to a point where I've signed kind of quite a few records already even though I've been only been doing it a year. Yeah I mean tell us all about that because you know the whole um, beauty of, of, of picking up with you is that you, you know you're definitely not a, not a one-trick pony you've got a lot going on um, and certainly I've always been intrigued when I've talked to people who, who've produced some are very musical some aren't at all you know, as an example, I've DJed since I was 14. Can I play any instruments? No. Could I sit there and mimic a, few, a song on the piano if I did it over and over and over? Probably. But I couldn't read, I couldn't read a single bit of music. And I certainly can't do what some of my musician friends do, where they, they'll pick up a, any instrument and start strumming on it and then sit on the piano. And then out of nowhere, one of my mates, he got a, he got a, to a toy, a little miniature saxophone for a Christmas present. And he sat there for about sort of half an hour putting it together, looking at it. And about half an hour later, was playing music on it. And I was like, this is mental. Like, so tell us a little bit about maybe how you approached starting to lay down and produce music and then how you got to be in the position you're in, signing it up. Yeah, yeah more than happy to give that insight. So I, like I said, I, is last June, I think I started producing. So I got, got a Mac, got Logic and... Kind of just started up learning the basics really i had a really great guy who taught um who kind of taught me the basics and how things work his name was matt Bezant, um awesome producer um and i think he kind of gave me the tools and the knowledge to then kind of apply my own kind of musical theory but also my i guess knowledge of the, the genre in, in particular obviously spent years and years listening to it so it helps then when you actually want to come and put pen to paper um so yeah i guess I think with producing, it's and like I said, I don't think having musical theory is or having being able to play an instrument is a prerequisite. I think whilst in cases it can help, I think it's just about being passionate about what you're doing and just I think it's just about repetition and practice and discipline and making sure that you, I guess it's just learn how to use the software, learn how to use the tools, and if you know the like, genre genre of music well, then you're going to have a good idea about how. How a track should progress and what elements should come in here and what elements should go out and um like you say like if you dj you like that really helps because you a lot of the time in this genre you're blending records together and you're kind of using like the highs and the drums from one record and the bass but then you might be bringing in the melody from another and 
keeping that looping yeah. so that you can create create a I guess create a, a vibe that you wouldn't get from either record but together you can and I think it's an important concept to apply when you're producing is thinking about what record am I making and where in my set am I going to play it not every record you make has to be a peak time record that is going to be an anthem I think you're going to make records that are going to help you build they're going to help you wind down they might be closing records or opening and I think having that mindset is important when you're making a record. Yeah, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that, that you know even when sort of my approach to a, to a mix comes from experience of the dance floor, you know you imagine the energy, you imagine the story um, that you're building, and you know many many years ago in in my early twenties when I sort of st- first started promoting it was a bit similar thing really in terms of how I've always been which is kind of you do something and you think I could probably do all I could probably do all the stages of this and it would it maybe be easier if I just did it's a lot of hard work but you kind of tout your wares you get in there you get in the position you think right I'm in control you know you meet a few people you meet a venue and suddenly you've kind of got this whole thing going on and, and particularly you know the people who I sort of partnered with at the time and the venue and stuff once you start getting a good few hundred people through the door and you're DJing each week, you you could really understand where to push things, you know, giving people space to kind of relax, that you can't have endless breakdowns because it sort of does stop the night. You need those house beats, you need those instantly recognisable tunes, but you're, you're basically doing a job for five hours. How do you spread the energy across this five hours? And it's actually then easier to kind of go on this ride so I've all, always sort of think you're right. Thinking about dance floor and those moments, it, it's a good way of actually thinking about what you're going to create. I think I remember. I think it was um, um, Will Will um, Will Noglo's on Super Progressive. He um, interviewed. Um, why is my mind going blank? The the Australian um, DJ and I remember him talking about the first time he heard his record being played on the dance floor and sort of similar to you he'd had a sort of musical background and that kind of euphoria that he felt when he heard it for the first time when his mates sort of turning around and going you did that have you had that moment have you gone through that phase yeah I have I have had that um on maybe one or two occasions where I've not even expected my record to get played and then I've been at a gig and it's got played and it is an amazing feeling, I have to admit. I think especially when you know the amount of hours you put in to, into that single record and then to hear it live. And I think whilst I I do see myself as a DJ and producer, I think most importantly, I'm a, I'm a party girl, I'm a raver. That's what, how I got into the scene. And I think that's what I love. I love being in there and enjoying the music and being taken on a journey as well as taking other people on a journey. So being on that dance floor and hearing this re- your, a record come in and you could, I recognise that tambourine which is coming in or I recognise that that melody that's coming in or those pads and you're like geez that's my record and all of a sudden it's in and you're yeah got a big smile on your face and you're yeah giving it large. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the tambourine in the section that kept you awake for nights and nights and nights thinking about it you're suddenly hearing it you're thinking, is, this, is this my head replaying a nightmare <laughs> or is it oh it's real. <laughs> I was there thinking, geez, it's too loud in the mix. <laughs> for those um, for those listeners who don't know the names of your track, tell tell us the name of your track and obviously the label it's on and stuff, and then um, sort of talk us through how 
you know, basically once you've got that tractor where you wanted it, how did you then go, right, I've got this thing, I need to give it a name, what am I going to call it, and who am I going to approach? Just talk us a little bit through that. Yeah, of course. So um, currently I've got three records which are out. So I've got um, an EP, which is two original records, which were signed by Capital Heaven, which is Frameworks label. It's an awesome label, big fan of Framework, love the work they do. So that was a pretty incredible feeling getting my first original record signed to them. And then I've also got a remix out um, on Prognosis, which is a remix of a record called Sally's Dream by Strange Malcolm. Um, he's an awesome producer. He's uh, actually just been signed to Nick Warren's Soundgarden label. So I think it's a testament to him. But I think what it is a really iterative process, like making records and you'll you'll make a record, you'll get the creative side of it down and you'll be happy with it. You've got the eight bar loop and then you arrange it. But then I feel like you may be 90% of the way there, but that last 10% is such a time consuming process, but the most important process, because that's what will polish it and make it fit for a club and for a dance floor. Um, so once I kind of got that done, I think I'd always, sit there and listen to the record and think about how it made me feel when I listened to it. So um, one of my records, which was signed to Capital Heaven, is called Dream Machine. Um, very kind of melancholic, euphoric record, I'd say. And it's it's probably the one of the records that you probably play later on in the night. And it's just like a feel good record. And then the other record that got put onto the EP was a record called Chiaro Scuro, which is a much darker record. It's like a building record. I, that's kind of how I use it in my um, when I'm DJing. And the reason it's called Chiaro Scuro because that's Italian for the opposing light to dark, which is done in painting. So it's like the opposing light to Dream Machine. So that's kind of where the names came from. Something you said back there, Strange yeah. Malcolm, Steve Dixon, He's somebody that I know quite well. Um, we met a few years ago and had a right old natter when he very first started. And I worked with his daughter-in-law at my last job. And um, Steve did my first ever Progressive House little um, music tag at the beginning of like introducing things. So he like worked on a little thing and did some voice stuff for me. So it's, no it's, really, it's really nice when obviously people you know and then get to know know each other, especially collabing like that. Um, because like you, you know, he's worked and worked and worked away at it. And um, for him to get on Soundgarden and, you, and you, for you to be on Capital Heaven, is it, like, it doesn't get bigger, does it? It get bigger. No, it doesn't. No. Um, so, yeah, I... Because obviously um, it was Prognosis that put me on to kind of do the remix for Steve and um, d- did that remix for him and he was really happy with it and how it came out. And he actually reached out to me and said, oh, do you want to um, do a collab, like do, do a record together? And we haven't ended up doing something yet, but what en- actually ended up happening was um, we just ended up getting on and having a few sessions together. And Steve's really, really good at what he does. He's an awesome producer. I think... He's so creative in how he approaches a song and he's very different. He doesn't take kind of the usual approach to how you'd make a record and he doesn't do it. He does it, he builds it linearly. So he, he builds it based on how he feels as he moves across the record, which I think shows in how he produces the records because they flow so well. So, yeah, I've had a few good sessions, a few sessions with Steve and he's taught me some really great things, which I think have definitely taken my uh producing to the next level so yeah it's just fate isn't it sometimes you meet people and if I didn't remix that record for him I'm sure I 
wouldn't have had that opportunity to learn from him. So, yeah, it's a funny old world. Yeah, yeah and, and I think that's sort of testament to, to kind of what we're trying to do in the scene, that there isn't as many people as you think are actually doing stuff. It seems like massive and global and how would I ever get into it? And just getting stuck in is, is one of the major things. But I think without kind of doing the research behind it and without kind of putting that sort of solid um, work in and giving yourself like a baseline, you're right. You're not you're not going to just be able to, you know, buy a pair of decks. I always call them decks. Buy any equipment and just start DJing. You know, yeah, we can beat match because you can do that and you can get tracks and you can download them from Beatport and various sources you know you can do the bits and pieces and put music together but it's very different when you start to think about it creatively you know think about the content think about what's going on and yeah we'll we'll, we'll definitely come back to the some of the things you, you mentioned about tech house because Obviously, you know, for so many years, that became the dominant kind of sound that the younger generation were into. But it actually, even though it's kind of the same umbrella music, dance music, it's very different. And the way the people that are in that scene think is actually very different. And that's where, you know, I don't don't want to go on one of my rants, but when I talk to other people in the progressive scene about what it is for me certainly i think that it's not about being snobby but it's much more a thinking man's game because you're not relying on something that is instant gratification you are relying on moods different moods like you said you've got you've got one record on one side that's going to take you high and you've got another one that's going to take you potentially into a different realm into a different mood and that takes that takes somebody with emotional intelligence to understand what they're doing, because you're making that record presumably for more than just a few people to hear, but hear very loud. And progressive is very powerful music done right. It can be it can be really moody, and you'll often get people going, "Ah, oh, you know, it's not banging enough." Do you mean speed? Because it's definitely banging enough. Don't know where you've been going. So it. it yeah, you're right. It's, you know, getting stuck into progressive and making the music, particularly in the UK, there just doesn't seem to be that many people doing it. And that's sort of one of my hopes is that the UK scene, which is sort of why I started Progressive House UK, is that it can kind of work together and try and, you know, bridge the gaps where showcasing this music and growing the scene, even if it's just like increments each year, we, I feel like we've got to do it because in no finer point, it was created here and we've sort of let it go. I'm not saying we own it, we can only own it, but we've kind of let it go. And why, you know, why? It's not just weather, it's not just that you can get 10,000 people in Buenos Aires to be outside. There is definitely that element culturally, they're Latino, they dance. There's a lot of things that I can understand why they want to listen to house music outside in large numbers. But is it just a cultural thing? Do English people always want everything to be a hit, a genre, a trend? Are there enough people out there that consider things and are probably going to listen to music in a more open-minded and intelligent way rather than just, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bounce, I'm going to put my hand up, 
and I'm just waiting for a massive hit off a record. In South America, for example, you know, their culture is different than ours. I think there's there's a, a longevity to their nights. Dancing is a normal part of their culture. Meeting with friends, going out all night. This has been something they've done for, for, for eons. And they seem to have a patience for the music. You know, um, DJs like, obviously, Hanan have continued and stuck to their guns with that music. And yeah. in, in England, we seem to be very trend and genre-led. Like, we need the latest fashion. We need the latest trends. We need the latest cool celeb. It's like we can't just stick at something and go, this needs to remain good and it is good. I don't know. See, I'm 28 and I've got a lot of friends who are into tech house and into, I say the more commercial side of dance music. And a lot of them, I think it's more easily consumable. I think them moving from the genres that they love, like R&B or even disco, stuff like that, I feel like from the, I guess the feeling I've got with them is that they find it easier to kind of migrate into house and tech house. But then what I've noticed is that as people are in the scene for longer and they start exploring the scene and they become more appreciative of the music, people normally find themselves then veering towards the more melodic progressive stuff. I think, I don't think that's the case, obviously not gonna be the case for everyone, but from the experiences I've had myself, but also all my friends around me, who are now all into this music as well we've kind of been on that journey and I think we were fortunate that I kind of came across these like progressive house DJs and ended up educating my friends about how amazing they are and how like see how they're pioneers of the scene like being the first kind of superstar DJs and it maybe it is down to that maybe in like place like South America the people, the role models in this scene are people like Hernan. Like he's like a national celebrity over there, isn't he? And over here, maybe the yeah. the people who are the pioneers and legends of the scene aren't about as much. Because I know that when people do, when I've had friends trust me and come and see Sasha play, they've been converted straight away to this kind of music. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's, you've raised a really interesting point there. I mean, it is it is a mix of things, isn't it? It's that you know, when you when you categorise anything um, and put it in a genre or whether it's film or music or, or fashion or whatever, what it does is it, break, it breaks information down for people to more easily consume, to understand. But, oh, right, I get it, it's this. There is, there is an element, of course, with all house music, whatever sort of part of electronic music it fits into, is that the basic of it is that it's dance music. The, you know, the idea is that you dance to it. You know, the far end of techno is difficult. The slower end of stuff, you know, ambient and things like that has its place. And it certainly can be in a, in a club environment, but it's going to be in the chill out room. I think once you get to a certain BPM, you know, it's not hard for people to understand, like, what is going on. And I think that, like you said, Friends who want to go out, have a good time, you know, the excitement, everything. Tech House in particular sort of quickly deals with that. It, it, it gets a quick rhythm going. It's not sometimes too hard. It's got a groove, that kind of groove. You can mix it beautifully, you know, a bit like progressive. You can really kind of, you know, good Tech House DJs can really fly through and change the rhythms and change kind of mood. 
and it's instantly understandable you know if you were just to plonk somebody in the dance floor and there's a three minute breakdown and they don't literally they don't know what to do it would seem odd right you know i for example i was at the pink concert of the night until i met my wife i went to very few concerts there's always a club at now i get concerts in a totally different way because previous to that i was like so i'm going to wait around for hours for the acts to come on the people on before the music's going to be really quiet then like the lights come on we all wait around for ages then they're going to come on and they're only going to be on an hour and a half and then we all have to go home and i'm going to spend loads of money on drinks it's going to be all over the place like my brain couldn't compute go into a club lose yourself for five hours come out and go i can remember like some standout moments but it like wow to other people they were like what it's just it's just completely different so it, it's interesting like you say kind of you use the word it's like convert you know people convert to it and it and you're right it's it is a bit like people do need to be given a reassurance that when they go they're either not going to be out of place or that everybody that's going to be there isn't going to be totally different than them and therefore you know going to make you feel like an alien if you're not doing something they're all doing i mean you know this whole business these days like being in a, being in the house music club it's not difficult is it we sort of shuffle from side to side it's not like disco you know you don't break out in moves and robots and stuff like that so it, it i always think found the house music scene very inclusive people could just like lose their shit a bit and you think oh that's cool they're doing their thing and and it is strange how like you say you'd, you'd have to sort of say yeah it is house music but it's not quite the same you know even though what's the worst case scenario 15 quid ticket to get in a club it's not like you're asking to spend you know future riches is it no, and it's but it's not an easy sell. I think we've definitely found that. Obviously, so I've run um to pick and mix sessions with um my uh, mate Will Flint um and we've also been doing events for about a year now. And it is, it's still it's tough. It's I feel like it's challenging times at the moment. And even just trying to get people through the door. And I know that when we first started putting on the um the events, it was kind of done a lot through word of mouth, and it'd be friends of friends, and they'd bring people along and. I remember for the first couple of events, we kept things definitely a lot more lighthearted. We didn't go too heavy, too dark, progressive. We kept things lighthearted with kind of groovy beats and like stuff they could dance to, but with still those melodic elements over the top. I guess just to introduce people and slowly ease people in. And then as we kind of progressed and done more and more events, we every one we kind of veer a bit kind of darker and deeper and more melodic and start pushing, I guess, pushing the boundaries a bit whilst still trying to cater to the people who are coming to these events because a lot of the people who do come to these events they won't there aren't really any pure progressive events in london so most of these people if they want to go out to a club and go raving they'll be going to a tech house event they'll go to a classic house event they might go see like todd terry or kerry chandler or they could be at a festival watching um someone like jamie jones so i think it's difficult when that music isn't, I guess, always readily available to people to consume. And so a lot of the music they're exposed to, like dance music, is this kind of like tech house or 
house or techno, melodic techno. Um, so yeah, it's not easy. I think it, it takes time and it's about trying to, I guess, guide people and show people that you can enjoy yourself and that this music's bigger than just the the individual tracks. It's 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 there's a, a real culture and history which is rich behind progressive house and trying to yeah. get that across to people. Sometimes I find myself not just really talking about the music, but just talking about the scene in general and the people and the culture around it and how it's pioneered the way for so many other kind of genres of dance music. And I think telling that story along with um, actually playing the music is a good way to show people how rich this kind of scene is. Yeah, and you're right. It, you know, the the sort of education, educating people through the sound, introducing things is 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 definitely part of it because, you know, that would have been the case when I was, you know, seventeen. You know, it's funny. There was a I came across um, Sasha in up, up your Ronson at Amnesia House in 1996. I came across it on SoundCloud and I downloaded it and I pinged it, my mates, because I was sat at home on the holiday that I didn't go to with them and they were at that event. And I listened to the mix and um, I think I was I was just working that day and I was listening to the mix. And it was really interesting because I thought, well, that song's off Northern Exposure 3. That song's off such and such. And back then when you went, clubbing and you heard it 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 sounded particularly Sasha and Digweed it sounded like I can't get my head round what's going on not only can I not get my head round what's going on you couldn't get your head round how at one point you could be listening to one thing and the next sort of two or three songs it had gone in a, in such a different direction I mean when I listen back now the mixes don't translate too well the albums do because obviously they'd had more thought about how those songs go together. It's a bit like the debate actually Ruben and Will were talking about, which is like your live mix and studio mix. Certainly back in the day, the studio mixes were king because Pro Tools, all of the like polish was on it. And they were made for people to listen to over and over and over again. But I was laughing to myself because I thought, do you know what? This set's just mental. Like it, it's a mental set. And, and I said to them, did you listen to that mix I sent you the other week? Yeah, it's, I remember that night being strange, he said, because literally just before then, you've got like Pete Tong playing all of the like big kind of cheesy hits at the time, very house, they used to call it handbag house. There's all this like mad stuff going on. And then almost Sasha would come on and play this like mad stuff. And obviously in a Ibiza, nobody's quite straight, you know, they're all like different nationalities together. But actually back in the day, that's what the scene was like. DJs would come on and follow somebody else, blow your mind. Now it's so much more linear, you know, you would never dream of having somebody on before you who was so different that you're going to challenge the crowd to the point where almost half the dance floor go, I don't know if I can handle this. And I think that's one of the other elements about progressive music is that you can take a housey, deep house sound, but by the end of the night, you could be playing people some techno. If you've done it neatly, they are. And it's that 
artistry, it's that subtlety that that when people then hopefully have gone the journey with you, have got much more going on. Maybe they had it in the background and they were chatting to somebody, but it was still on the dance floor. They weren't like, oh, we've got to go and chill out. I need a load of water, you know, because the intensity of the night was taking them all over the place. And I really take my hat off to what you're doing, because like you say, particularly in London, to gather a group of people and to put your money where your mouth is and say, right, we're going to put on an event and we're going to play this music. You're right, because Richard and I had to think long and hard about the age demographic, what we're going to do, how to create nostalgia for people who maybe are coming back from a gap of clubbing, how to create the feeling that we had when we were originally clubbing and that energy, but do it in a very neat way and in a, in a way that's accessible. Because at the end of the day, you're a DJ, you've got a job to do. You're supposed to make people dance, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think we're, yeah, it's the same for us really with Pick and Mix. It's um, trying to understand who the people are to target. And I think the people we do want to target are the people who are the younger generation. I think when you, it's evident when you go, if you go to a Sasha event in the UK or a Digweed event or Nick Warren, like the age, the average age of people there is much older. It's, it's a lot of people who've been listening to them since the 90s when they were up and coming. And so trying to push a sound to people which aren't used to it. And I say the, I say the average age people are, we probably have people as young as 20, 21 come to our events and people as old as maybe, maybe like 45, 50. We have a few people who are regulars who come to the event because they love that music. And it's just a real spectrum of people, as you can imagine, of different age groups. And it's good. It's I think once we get people there, especially the younger generation, once we get them there, like they, they come to every event. So I think it just shows that if you give people the opportunity, they, they're going to enjoy it. And I think it's like you say, it's how you also the environment that you kind of play this music. So, for example, the first ever two parties we did were boat parties. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was. An, so you gave, gave it a kind of unique feeling right from the off. Yeah, we get that was like a strategic decision to say, look, ha, this is the music we want to play. There's got so many big clubs in London, so many big labels, commercial labels bringing in huge names every weekend of Fabric to um, Village Underground to Steelyard to amazing clubs. And here we are, not only an independent small label, a small brand who haven't even done an event yet, but we're also pushing a sound which isn't even a big, isn't even got a big reach anyway. So what 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 can we do? And that's why we thought let's do a boat party on the Thames. And we did our first one, sold out. Everyone loved it. Did a second one a few months later, sold out. I'm actually doing another one in a couple of weeks' time. So yeah, I think it's about trying to be unique, isn't it? When you're an independent label, it's difficult and it's expensive. And I think post COVID, inflation and that everything's even more expensive. So it's even getting like more tough to put on put on events. So. You have to sell tickets in there, otherwise you go skin, which when you're working a full-time job and doing this as a hobby, it's, you can't be losing too much money, can you? Yeah, no, you know, completely. I think where, where both you and I sort of meet in the middle is, is obviously from the, from the DJing aspect and then, and then putting on events. Um, novelty of playing online every week, live, and people joining your live stream and chatting to them. It was great because you know seeing the same faces we're really building a bond but the the novelty like i say was starting to wear off and you know 
could I sort of look myself in the mirror and call myself a real DJ if if I was never really playing in clubs? Now, yeah, there is an age difference between me and you, and certainly when I was younger, you know, being out there all the time, in the thick of it, in your 20s, you know, your lifestyle and your DJing, it was like one of the same. You know, there was no there was no crossover, like part of your identity, definitely what you were what you were doing. You you were in sync with all the right people, you were in sync with all the right um clubs, bars, you know, you could kind of sew the scene up and really understand it. So when you wanted to put an event on, you were kind of aware that there was a party happening. So it was almost for me, okay, I'm gonna do the end of season media party. You know, we I knew all those people and they knew me. It was it was an easy thing. So the crowd, you didn't have to go finding these crowds. You were already surrounded by hundreds of people. So, you know, you build this online community and it couldn't be global. There was people tuning in from all over to listen to me. But then it's like, well, hmm, the whole sort of point of this is that people meet, is that is that you play this music loud. Like I'm <laughs> I'm probably hearing the music when I was DJing it doing my live streaming much louder than they were because of the kit I've got in my my garage it's amazing it's like i'm i'm really into it because i've got these massive massive monitors and they are just so i'm fully in the zone when you know that that music's got that power your brain is reminding yourself when you used to dj going this needs to be in a club so i think for me my, my partner richard similar to you i've got a, a, a partner in crime he was doing stuff and starting to put on events we knew each other, we knew mutual friends. And there came this point where it was like, you know, we, we could join forces here, you know, but how are we gonna do this? So there was quite a lot of discussion before the early doors club came about, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, right, we've got this group of people, we've got this. If you start putting on events for your friends, like you said, that can end very quickly because your mates are doing something that weekend, they're not gonna come. So what what you do you might as well have a party in your garden. <laughs> That's not you're not starting a night if you're just inviting your friends. So it's got to be ticket sales. So you start to conceptualise what what have we got to do here? Richard and I worked with each other, talking a lot, sending each other music about how we would create an early doors club sound that that actually was probably progressive in ethos. It wasn't necessarily out and out progressive music for the same reasons you mentioned. We just go out and out progressive. You might get a few DJs who like progressive coming and listening because they get it. How can this be marketed, right? Like you said, all of a sudden, there's the music here. We said this before we met today. Right, there's the music and the DJing. Actually, that's the easy bit. How do we package this so that people can go, I'm going to buy a ticket and I'm going to come? Now you're into a different realm. Now you're into social media. Now you're into marketing skills, you're into creating artwork. It, you need to fully create this this thing. And it's, it is, it's hard work. And like you, I've got a day job. So your brain is like constantly thinking of all these tiny little things. So for the last year, you know, we, we actually put our tickets on sale for the February gig, I think, just a couple of weeks into January. We didn't want to do it before Christmas, a couple of weeks into January we've been planning it for like six months and like you said you've got to you've got to cover your costs so that's like obvious if you're both willing to chuck a few hundred quid in then 
you're putting on a party. But actually, if this is going to be something that's got longevity, it needs to actually wash its own face and it needs to it needs to generate that interest. So it, you're, you're right. It becomes something very different. And what do you do to stand out in this in this world of noise competing for people's eyeballs on social? Um, and, you, and you still got to be original, right? I mean. So tell me a little bit about how you got together with Will and when, right, what are you going to do and what am I going to do? How did you sort of partner up? So um, so I went uni of Will um, and we kind of got into this scene and music together. We've been on like the same journey really together, which has been pretty amazing. And I, where Pick and Mix really started was, I think, at the end of 20, 2021, we were like, we obviously have been to loads of different festivals and clubs and seen lots of DJs. And every time you go on social media, we'd always see the same DJs popping up. Solomon, Tale of Us, Adriatic, um, Jamie Jones. Um, the same, it is you, the same, every account which promoted this music posted the same DJ at the same club, the same event. And we, Pigments didn't actually start as an events label. We actually started it as a knowledge sharing platform to basically educate people about all these other amazing artists who are doing such an awesome job but probably not getting the exposure that we thought they deserved and it was very much focused on progressive house like progressive house artists basically and we would don't get me wrong if we went and saw another dj like i think we did did a few posts about Derek carter because he's an awesome like classic house dj and an important person to see and so that's really where it started pick and mix and we started getting some traction with the page and we would basically write biographies about the people, about events, about clubs and just trying to educate people. Because we felt like a lot of people were involved in the scene, but they didn't actually know it. They didn't understand the history of it. They didn't understand the artists and their background and what they've gone through to be where they are now. So that we try and educate people on that. And then um, we kind of got a bit of a following and we've always dreamed about putting on our own events. So we're like, do you know what? Why don't we actually start running our own events where we can share this music that we love? And that's where it all started really, is that we started running events to share this best music that we love. And obviously we quickly realized we had to be careful about how we approached that. Um, but in terms of like how we split and how we work together, I think we're quite malleable, we're quite flexible, we're quite agile. Obviously we both got busy day jobs and we're both pursuing music um, as a passion as well in terms of like DJ and producing. So we kind of just, yeah, I think communication is really important. We always have to make sure we're trying to be 50-50 and how like the effort that we're putting into to pick and mix in terms of the page, but also marketing and relying on reaching out to our connections to help with kind of selling tickets and stuff like that. So I think there isn't really, we don't really have defined roles. We more are just agile in our approach, I'd say. Um, and we're fortunate that I've got my brother, um, who's also a really big supporter, and he's he's a salesman. And that's what he does in his day job. So he's pretty good at selling tickets, which is good, which uh, is what we need. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? You know, there's, there's, there's lots of ways to, it's a horrible phrase to skip to skin a cat and you know there's a lot of um take 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 out there there's a lot of people who you know will put up a profile on uh, instagram or facebook i'm a dj listen to my mix listen to my mix listen to my mix the very starting point of being a dj you're playing other people's music you know unless you're in the fortunate position like you where you, where now obviously you can play some of your music 
your own music that you produced, you're still rare. Most DJs, just by absolute choice like me, have always gone, I don't want to do that because I want to play everybody else's music. They're doing the hard work. I'm just creating a new story with their tools. Like they're giving me some tools that are amazing and I'm going to be able to do something on top of that that's creative and, and create, you know, my own version. And I think when, um, when I kind of thought, it, it, for me, I, I, stopped, play, I stopped doing um, competition sports. I was your typical guy in his 30s doing triathlons and stuff. When I sort of stopped, I realised I had all this time. I, I had no really long training sessions to do. I didn't have events on weekends. And I've got a busy brain. I'm always active. And I was like, yeah, I've ignored quite a lot of creativity here. Um, I think I'm going to start DJing again. Now, I'd never given up making mixes. I'd never given up doing, like, mixes using software, etc. So I'd always sort of always still been involved in making mixes. But I thought to myself, well, I'm not just going to, like, I'm not just going to, like, expect people to go, I'm going to listen to what he's, he's mixed because he's told us he's a DJ or he's been around a little bit. Like, how am I going to, you know, how, how can I contribute to the scene? And really, that's where Progressive House UK came from. I thought, ah, oh, Progressive House music might be making a bit of a comeback here. This was in about 2017, 2018. And certainly, looking at the groups that were online at the time, they were very sort of, they were very focused on talking about the same artists over and over and over and over. And I thought, ah, you know, the problem is here is that if people just want to talk about Sash and Digweed and which one's better and same albums like how can this evolve how can how can the current stuff become prevalent then what i noticed is there was like this huge underbelly of djs out there that were creating mixes online but and here's the but none of this stuff was happening at events there were there were no events now progressive house uk started in 2019 we all know what happened a year and a bit later so that really halted, I think, the UK scene having what I thought was going to be sort of progressive comeback. People really struggled to get festivals together. They were struggling. People like Nick Warren, Hanan, etc., huge fees, and they don't necessarily going to guarantee you ticket prices. So I kind of bubbled away a bit, like you were saying, sort of educating, talking about albums. I started the podcast. Podcast originally was quite different I used to do it in a kind of like a format of a show I'd I'd like do an introduction I'd say a few events that were going on give some shout outs I'd maybe pick a tune play that and then I'd, and I'd sort of do a, like an interview with somebody that would be tiny and I kind of put this sort of 40 minute package together and it was going great guns I was doing it like after work when everybody left work I'd be like right they're all gone and then i'd shut the doors so it was like a soundproof room and i'd do it all and i'd write the show and i'd do all this stuff and i was just like full of passion the problem was that i had i had this in my head and i was doing it but i didn't know i didn't know what my end goal was i didn't i didn't have a goal so at that time people like i got a resident program and they were like oh, we could put on events we could do progressive house uk events and my brain was thinking i live in newcastle and that person lives in Manchester and like where would we pick and how would we do it and have we even got enough subscribers and like oh so I was very put off the thought of doing events although logically it, it kind of made sense um 
at the time I was doing everything myself as well. So it was like I couldn't keep up with the interaction with DJs and programming people in for mixes, doing all the artwork, doing all the content. Forget ChatGBT. If that had existed two, three, four, five years ago, I probably would be in a different position. I was actually listening to people's mixes two or three times, then writing about it. So I was trying to kind of do what Will does so naturally because he's kind of got that journalism background. I was just so full of this passion for the scene that I wanted to give people this knowledge. And then if they just happened to listen to me in amongst the other DJs, I'd be happy because I wouldn't be just hoping for 100 listens on SoundCloud. So it's weird because like you, it's kind of like coming at the scene from a different angle that tries to give something rather than just try and take. And a lot of people just, you know, you all know this, you, you eventually put on an event and people are knocking your door. Can I come and play? Can I play at the next one? Same, if I'm right in saying, me and Richard, we do everything. I'm DJing because that is easier to control all of that. But that's the reward. The reward is all this hard work when you're on and you're DJing and it's all happening, you get the feels. You turn around to your mate and you go, oh, all the hard work was worth it. And they're not against other DJs in the future, but it wouldn't. It, that's not the model for this. After working so hard on so many projects, Early Doors Club is the product of five years of graft. It's not just happened. Um, yeah. I went on one then. But you get it, right? I think I think it's a really great point. I think a few key things you've raised there which really resonate with me. And I think a lot of people don't understand how much work goes on behind the scenes to run these events. It is it's exhausting. It takes a lot of time. It's very stressful. There's a lot of pressure to sell tickets and actually make your money back. Like it's not it's not an easy thing to do. And don't get me wrong. When it happens and it's a success, it's the best feeling in the world. But the eight, like the four or five months before that, which it takes to actually plan an event and get it so that it is as good as what it is on the day, it takes hours and hours of graft. And I remember a, a good friend of mine who's now kind of supports us and helps us with um, Pick and Mix. He, um, when he came in and we kind of invited him into the chats and stuff, he could not believe how much effort went into it. He turned around and said, I can't believe... I just didn't think it at all. I just did not even expect it. But you guys are constantly talking and planning and kind of think about the kind of how we're going to approach this event. So yeah, it's it is a lot of work. And I think the other point that you raised about other DJs coming to want to come and play, we see that all the time. We have loads of people reach out to us and say, look, we want to come play at your event. And if some of them are London DJs, some of the people from the rest around the UK, some people from abroad. And especially the people around London, I always say to them, I haven't yet seen you at an event. You haven't come to our event. And so what makes you think that you're suitable for it? And they'll send me a mix. And I say, look, this is great. I'm sure you're a really nice guy and your music's awesome. But you're not it, like it comes back to what you're saying. It's all take, take, take. Actually, like I, I go to quite a lot of events in London just to support. I won't I, even if I get off a guest list, I'll always pay for a ticket because I know what it's like being a promoter. And I'll go and just support and just be an extra number there and bring my friends along and just help them out. And it's like when I had a, I had a gig a couple of weeks ago for a um, or about a month ago for an event called Farago, and they offered to put like a lot of my friends on guest list. And 
I said to all my friends, no, we everyone buys a ticket who comes to watch me play because they that's what they being a promoter, you understand the difficulty of selling tickets. So I think trying to be I think trying to not just take all the time and have an open mindset to when you're going to events, especially small events with independent labels and try and actually put yourself in their shoes, I think is really important. And I think a lot of people probably don't do that enough, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, certainly, you, you know, you've got the right ethics and the right kind of viewpoint. And certainly one of the things that is is definite and and this is why I knew, I just knew talking to you would be would be interesting hopefully it is for the listeners because what you said there is fascinating because Richard Richard and I um we you know we for the amount of time we've known each other you wouldn't think that we'd have been able to do what we've done we talk every day we we probably talk every day we he is always there to take a call um we always have time for each other um there is kind of like beautifully we are very different in terms of who we are but he is one of those people that if he's just going to do something he does it and that that's really big for me you know i say i'm going to do something i do it and we nudge forward we nudge forward we nudge forward if we have a setback we talk about it we discuss it we go right let's quickly get over that and we'll get back on it as you know there are just things that are in your control and there are a million things that aren't and if you you know if you worry too much about things that aren't you won't focus on the little tiny things and it is it's everything it, you know selling events you need to know about software you know you need to you know how to use that ticket software you need to think about the fees what the fees going to be charged to the to the company are they fair? Are people going to be annoyed when you say your ticket's seven quid and actually it's seven pound ninety-four? No, they get it. You you have to have all these micro mini conversations. You know, we talk a lot about the the music, you know, I've got a great set. We kind of like chiv each other along, excite each other by saying, you know, I've got something really different to do at Early Doors Club, but not so much that you would, you know, outshine the op- opposite person. We take it in turns. One of us is going to do the complete like graveyard warm up shift. The other one's going to, you know, end up ending the night. You know, we, 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 everything is thought through with the audience in mind, but behind the scene, writing press releases, writing all the content. I do all the artwork. Rich will post it. He gets in touch with people. It, it never ends. And if you, if you were doing it with the wrong person for the wrong reasons, it'd fizzle out. And, and I think the friendship that we built together, like that mo- that moment at the last gig was just, you know, there was just a moment where we were both like, we, we, like, this is why we're doing it. You know, this is exactly why we're doing it. He's much better at putting all the decks together and sound mm-hmm. testing. And he used to be a musician. And I'm floating around putting glow sticks together and putting <laughs> them around his head. You know, it's just like at some points, one of us is, is doing the opposite than the other, but it's it's teamwork. And I think the friendship that we've built has almost been as good daily as, as any of the, the, the sort of highs at that peak when you're playing a massive tune and everybody's looking and hands are in the air. But I think, you know, what we're trying to do, and I don't know if you're the same, is, is trying to share this with the community because the people that are coming 
we do want them to come regularly. Not everybody's going to make every one of your events, but them being there, them wanting to be there, feeling involved on the socials, being part of something, none of that's fake. It could be described as marketing, but actually it's with all the right intent. You want those people to make friends. Oh, you know, what's the common link here? Well, it's early doors club, but if you go out for a drink afterwards or you meet up because you met there, oh, that, that's, that's what it's about. The tunes almost are the icing on the cake. And that's where I've tried to create this community that's an early doors club, rather than say the music is the most important thing or us as DJs are the most important thing. We're actually quite low down the importance, you know. I think you're spot on. I'm sat here smiling because everything you're saying just resonates with me so much. I could not agree anymore. I think that mindset you've got is just great. I think that's exactly how it should be. Cause, and we that's what we call it. We, we call Pick and Mix, we call it the Pick and Mix community because that's what it is. It's a group of like-minded people who may know each other through me, through Will, through a friend of a friend, or they may be strangers, but on that dance floor, they'll get to know each other. And the next time they meet, they, it's when we, how many events we had now? I think one, two, three. So this is our sixth event coming up now. This yeah, wow. And yeah. at the point now where people turn up to the event and they were strangers at the first what first or second event and now they give each other a hug they have a catch-up they speak they even speak to each other outside of the event and that yeah. makes me happier than actually the look on their face when you play a great tune or when i play one of my own records for me that is literally what it's about it's nothing better than we're there like you say we're there to facilitate the night and this get together and this community feel as djs that's why we're there we're there to take them on a journey and create this space where people feel open and they can chat to each other and they feel at one with the environment that they're in um so yeah i could not agree anymore with what you're saying i think yeah yeah i I feel and and then and like you said that's that's it is that that you have to have that outward mindset because you know I could probably go and enjoy DJing a two-hour mix in my garage, pretty loud, record it, listen to it while I'm on a long run, and be quite happy with all of that. But something clearly is 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 about people, you know. I've been I've been in marketing for years, and it, it's sort of poignant, really. But you know, I'm looking for work at the moment. And one of the big things that's driving me to choose the right job is the company's ethics towards its people, is the values and ethics behind why the company's doing what it's doing. Products, the position, salary, these are all important things, but if the company itself doesn't have a mindset towards like employees or customers, I can't I can't resonate with it. And, and that's because practically since I was a kid, I've been a social gregarious person that that enjoys other people's company and i get my energy from other people and you know it's very easy in this modern world to be an introvert to look at a screen to not make eye contact with people you know we're only doing this because you live in london if you if you lived half an hour an hour away we would have done this together in a room you know and actually my intent behind this series this in conversation with was that because i was doing so much time live streaming playing all my music on a Tuesday, I was programming it on a Wednesday, and then doing like a two to four hour mix on a Thursday. Three nights, I was just 
head down looking at my computer, not even looking at my wife. I thought, God, I know all these people on the music scene. I don't bloody talk to any of them like, properly. Literally, that's how I had the idea. I was like, well, Nick only lives X amount of distance away. Nick Roger, who's one of my residents and now a really good friend, we met online. Didn't even realise he lives a mile away. It's just ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And he puts out some of the most amazing music with his little shows and his Boyd series. There's just like science fiction music, chill out stuff. And the guy lives down the road, you know. So he was one of the first people to do this series because we could see each other and he brought around records and we had a chat about our shared passion. And I was like, ah, oh, this is this is why I created the thing in the first place. It wasn't to be live streaming to my to practically myself and two screens, you know, um, which, by the way, as, as you probably know, even that isn't straightforward. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> when on a live stream yeah. doing about 12 different things was far more complicated. But obviously there's, there's, there's a drive, isn't there, to do this stuff. You've got it. Will's clearly got it. And that drive and the why, sometimes it can get lost when things are kind of, you know, we, we, I guess I'm going to throw it out there to you. Mental health is a massive thing, right? And people are so much more aware than they used to. How do you decide when to switch off, when to go, this needs to be put down for a bit? I'm probably the worst person for this. I've got a really active brain. I've got OCD, so I get really obsessed with things. Um, and these obsessions change the last 12 months it's been production. So, yeah, I really, really struggle with this. I think I have little things that I do to help me get away. Like, I love my fitness. I'll go hit the gym. I'll do some cardio. I'll escape. But, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And I think, especially with, like, producing music, doing live mixes, a lot of it's just all sat at your screen. And I work, my day job sat looking at my screen, which I don't think isn't good for you. I think it's not good for you physically, which I think, I think your physical health has a big impact on your mental health too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's tough. It's it's really tough getting that balance, especially when I'm trying to pursue this music thing to turn it from a passion, a hobby into a potential career. Like I'm up at like five o'clock in the morning making music before work. I'll then work, I'll go to the gym, I'll do another three or four hours making music. I probably do four, at least between four and six hours of music a day on in the week, which is exhausting, isn't it? Like that's a lot of time to be sat at your screen. So. I think I, I I need I need to be better. I like it's a flaw I've seen in myself and it's something I need to be better at and I'm I think I'm getting better. But yeah, it's hard to you can get a great advice from people but and you can give great advice yourself, but actually doing that, walking the walk isn't as easy as talking the talk, is it? No, How, no. It is it What is. do you do? Um yeah, I mean you know, we're not too dissimilar. I mean, that's. That, I hope this comes across to, to the listeners that you know, age means nothing in 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 reality. When people have a lot of energy and they've got a very active mind, and you know, that's quite capable, it's very difficult when you run a lot of your life through what your thoughts are and making them into reality and doing things. Similar to you, I have a lot of little OCDs. I'm very, I'm very finite about a lot of things. You know, a lot of the artwork that I put out is from years of working with big brands. So so attention to detail and things like that. You know, I'll, I'll do a load of artwork and then I'll look at it and I'll be like, 
I don't think that's center. And I go back and, and, and re-go over it. And, and those little things actually probably aren't important, but my mind can't do, can't say that. So the flip side of that is to, when, it, when I'm away from the screen, I have to exercise. I mean, it's literally medicinal for me. I, I, I get up seven o'clock on the dot every morning, weights, running, anything. And that energy, physical energy, kind of gets depleted. It has to be. And then the mental energy is probably a bit, bit in a better place then. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of routines for stuff. I, I like routine. That, that is how I work. I think I sound like me. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd recognise that this project, this in conversation project, was really exciting, and I went ahead and organised like ten people, and I was getting it all right, and I was starting to do all this, and then I just, and then I sort of said, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. The point of doing this was that you could do it on a Wednesday night instead of three nights. So, so don't don't now start doing all the, you know, and then I'm still doing all the progressive house UK stuff, and then I'm doing a doors club, and then I've got this job, and and what I started to realise was that if if i don't put if i don't put things into time slots like proper time slots and actually appreciate that that job needs to be done in that job so almost like double down on the focus but put it in that two hours or in that three hours other areas of my life like with my wife might be a bit richer we'll start to watch the documentaries that i want to watch you know late at night i'm relaxing rather than starting to to make my mind go higher i have a i have a new, a new rule really don't if i listen if i listen to beat if i go on beatport or even youtube if my wife's away after 10 o'clock at night i can be listening to the music and buying it till three in the morning so that's a rule <laughs> no progressive bouts after 10 o'clock at night because the brain yeah goes one so there's a lot of things that I've learned the wrong way. I think there was a there was a point where I sat down, you know, again with my wife. She's my best friend, and I said to her, oh, "You know, I'm losing the why. I don't know why I'm doing all this. You know, I'm finding it exhausting, and you know, I'm communicating with DJs, you know, in different countries. You know, I would I would write to them with Google Translate so that they don't have to translate my English, and I could write them in Spanish." You know, I try, I'm always like doing something. And in the modern age, that kind of 24 seven multinational kind of communication can just be completely overwhelming. And then I just realized that I was driving it all. It was like, oh, this is me. I'm, I'm doing this. Because I thought I'd be letting people down if I didn't do X, Y, and Z. And, and actually it's the opposite way around, just that I'm driving this. So it's so like you, it's been difficult to go right. These projects need to be successful. Actually, everybody knows that if you're efficient and productive with time, you literally need seven hours sleep, and the rest of it, you could just be, you could just be. Whoa. That's dangerous, and you know, I'm a big nature fan. Going away, I went in Scotland. Uh, with my brother-in-law there's nobody there we didn't see anybody else we went to west scotland the phone didn't work there's no signal that is actually what i need and as long as i do that and i connect with things that are normal it it all balances out 
and it is a balancing act it's just about getting it there i think to share another thing with you we we were slightly unsure about staying at the club we're at the club we're at world headquarters is renowned it's one of the best clubs in newcastle one of the longest running the sound system's amazing and that's really important for me and richard with the music we're playing there were some things we weren't too happy with and we were, we were really trying to sort of get with them on this kind of partnership level and we were kind of worried that maybe the summer might be too hot in the club and we started looking at another few venues and again just that level of now extra work trying to engage new people going and visiting the venues speaking to them waiting two weeks for a reply i re i went out to lots of other um, venues with a pitch a proper pitch you know imagine like you could say look we've got x amount of people this is the amount of revenue you could bring and you know pitching all these people waiting for replies not getting it chasing it up the hours just get eaten up now that energy isn't endless there's a lot of it but i watched the arnold schwarzenegger netflix documentary you should watch it it's great it's really inspirational like you can have the energy for lots of different things but only if you know why you're doing it and what the goal is and that yeah that would be my advice is reminding yourself my wife says this why and what's the goal because if you haven't got them you just you are you're wasting time potentially creative energy on on stuff yeah i think it's great advice i think i'm someone who's always been very much goal goal driven so i know i've always had like yeah goals i want to achieve for and strive for which probably allows me to operate at the level that i do as much as often as i do and for as long as i do just because i know where i want to be but yeah it's even that sometimes you can drive yourself to insanity can't you so yeah i think what you were saying is absolutely spot on is making making time for yourself setting clear time like boundaries so when you should be kind of stopping like I know that if I, I was up producing for like half 11 last night and I'm knackered today. So it just shows that if I, last week I was making sure I was cutting off at 10 each day and I felt felt great each morning. So I think it's about get, finding that balance, isn't it? It's yeah, easy yeah, to definitely. lose. Mm, you can lose sight of that bigger picture, can't you, at times? Yeah, it is. So what, what does the, you know, if we were going to start to summarise like where you're at, what what's, what's the sort of next short to mid-term goals looking like for you you know for your producing for pick and mix what you got on so i'll break it down into three so i'll break it down into kind of pick and mix djing and then um and production so i'll start a production so i think for me is just to keep working keep learning keep getting records signed i've had 12 records signed now um three that have come out this year um already got another nine coming out later this year um which is really cool got a record out um a week friday on prognosis which is like a peak time progressive house record and and i've got a four track ep out on stella fountain in august and yeah vesta records yeah pro b tech whole whole bunch of different um labels which i'm releasing on, which i'm really excited about um so yeah production keep moving as i am I think from a DJ perspective, I think keep getting gigs. So I've actually just been booked to go play in Israel on the 30th of June. Um, nice. Play, nice. Playing at the um, biggest club in the Middle East called Forum, which is going to be amazing. It's like a 7,000 capacity venue. And that actually came because I uh, I DJed out in Belgium at Extreme Outdoor. 
and some of the lads watching me love my set and they actually work for the club and now they've got me booked a gig out there so i'm flying out there on the 30th of june well done um, it's going to be amazing i'm really excited for and then the week when I, week after i get back it's pick and mix so it's a boat party so i Busy think boy. yeah lots to look forward to lot, lots going on um i think just need to yeah i think it's just about trying to grow myself as an artist and kind of increase my exposure and keep doing what I'm doing but then from pick and mix keep building this community that we've built so far and use it as a vehicle to help kind of drive progressive house within London and the UK and also to help I guess help drive and support my goals as well really. Yeah I think you know you're doing you're doing really well Will and, and there's a big difference between somebody like myself sat here you know sort of interviewing you and 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 people who don't know who you are listening to you for the first time they I don't want them to underestimate the success that, that you've had and the difference between you sat here saying oh you know I need to be careful and blah 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 thing is as as anybody knows life is about actually hard work and actually your success is is justified and you know you're obviously very talented the record labels that you're on believe in that and you know if you keep up that level you'll only get better and i hope that somebody like yourself can prove that you know nice guys people with genuine intentions you know do still work hard but can get recognized and i think that you know certainly for a music that i am or have been so passionate about for so long you know i'm really you know in awe of what you've achieved because you you are the generation hopefully that's gonna put this music sl slightly back on the map i mean let's be honest you know people will follow a band for the whole of their lives and not think anything of that and i just know that you going and seeing a dj that you followed all your life is no different it's just people's perception of what that is and success, you know, it's not just financial. It is what you bring to other people. So I think, you know, I take honestly, I take my hat off to you. You across all those different things you're doing, you, you're doing really well. And I certainly, for one, am, am right behind you. And you know, will will aim to support you wherever I can. And this chat has been great for me because it's again, you know, not to reiterate the point, it's being able to introduce somebody that is looking at it from the right way and is potentially going to bring a future that people like me are either going to get tired of or disappear into the background or just going to go back to square one and sort of rely on the old albums again the old albums again um, well, we so yeah ever. you know let's, <laughs> let's hope we can let's hope you know certainly from uk producers point of view you can you can start to put the progressive house sound back on the map um and yeah, you never know. You just don't know, do you? You don't know, but I, I really appreciate the kind words. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think, yeah, it's been great to hear your thoughts and loads of good things for me to take away. But yeah, no, I really appreciate the, the kind words. It means a lot. So it's got to keep, keep, keep moving forward, haven't we? We've just got to keep doing what we're doing. I think collaboration's key and keep pushing this sound and the scene that we love. And yeah, I think, like you say, you can't go wrong. If you, if you do what you love, then you never work a day in your life, as they say. <laughs> yeah. So just just before we finish, just remind all the listeners and anybody that's going to be listening, 
tell us the date, exactly what's happening with Pick and Mix tickets. Let, let us know how we can get to your event on that boat. Yeah, so we're the event is on Saturday the 8th of July. It's in London. It's um, a boat party on the Thames. We'll be um, taking off from Westminster Pier. Um, and yeah, it starts from 12, ends at 5. Tickets are available on Resident Advisor. And we've also got um, a act coming down called Maya, um, which you may have heard of. It's a guy called John Marshall and uh, um, his uh, colleague Ben. And yeah, the awesome act great producers, great DJs. So yeah, it should be a good day out. Wicked. Listen, thank you so much for your time. I really hope that this is the beginning of a good sort of friendship between us both. You know where I am. Um, you know, I certainly know where you guys are. And like you said, collaboration is the key to this because I don't think anybody's ever got anywhere entirely on their own. So, you know, wish you the best of luck. Please do say hello to Will because I haven't met Will, your Will yet. Um, and just yeah, thanks very much for being on. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it'll be nice to touch base maybe again in six months and see what we're both up to. Definitely. Thank you so much, Nani. No worries, buddy.